Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes live stream podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Happy Saturday, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Hopefully everyone in the feed can see and hear us. Um, before we get started, we've got two great guests on today, but before we get started, uh, next Saturday we're hosting a Meet the Manager live stream Q&A with Lit Manager and producer Peter Katz of Story Driven. So if you're in the hunt for a Lit Rep or plan on doing so in the near future, come by and say hello and maybe ask a few questions or just learn a little bit about Peter and his views on representation um, and what interests him in, in prospective clients. That's next Saturday, May 8th at 11 a.m., same time as this one. Um, but today... We are uh, talking TV writing and uh, developing animated series with our two illustrious guests. I'm glad to have them on. Um, our two guests today are both TV writers and producers, um, and a lot of their credits overlap, but I'm just going to sort of throw out some of these credits. Uh, their credits include DreamWorks Madagascar, A Little Wild, and the hit animated series, uh, of which the fourth season recently premiered on Peacock. The first two seasons were on Netflix. Archibald's Next Big Thing is here. Um, and we're going to get all into their background, all into their uh, creative process, and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's Drew Champion and Jacob Moffat. Thanks for joining us today, gentlemen. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks, Kevin. That was a great intro. Yeah, thanks. Wow. Uh, well, Can we take you everywhere with us like before all of our pitches? Yeah. Yes. Like, Kevin's going to give her intro. Yes. And then... I'll, I'll be the hype man. Absolutely. 100%. Perfect. Um, and actually, there's more to hype. It's just because you guys have such diverse and interesting backgrounds, I wanted to sort of bring them up sort of separately because they're separate and then they converge. And then that's where the, the story begins, I suppose, um, in terms of Archibald's, uh, Archibald's next big thing. Um, but so if you're in the chat, feel free to drop your questions at any time. We'll, we'll get to them as soon as we can. But before we do that, and before we get started talking about uh, the topic of the day, which is developing animated series and writing uh, television, um, I wanted to give the audience a little background on you guys and find out more about how you got your start, what drove you into writing and animation, um, and that kind of thing. So uh, starting with Drew, prior to working in animation you did a lot of work in, in talk and variety type shows good mythical yeah. morning game talk live larry king now and i know jacob you have also done a lot of that as well um but i'm first so we're talking about that first yeah, take as much time as you want <laughs> jake turn off your camera just, just like go, text go me when you sleep. want me to come back i'm gonna go vacuum yeah. Yeah. um so uh Again, Drew, prior to working in animation, what, how did you yeah. first decide you wanted to work in the industry? And what was the first gig you got? Like the first ever, ever gig that I got? Yeah, in the industry. In the industry. Yeah. Okay, so um, I grew up, I'm from Canada. Mm -hmm. My family, we moved to Utah. And so Utah was really like, it's a beautiful place. Mountains and canyons and everything's like in walking distance. So I... I've always had this love for movies, especially Jurassic Park. The movie changed my life. I was like nine when it came out. And I was like, those are those are real dinosaurs. Those are real. Those are real. So that really got me into like the special effects, but then also like the process of filmmaking. So I really like that movie, like really got me going. So then in Utah, uh, I would make movies with friends and I would get I would borrow someone's camera. We'd go up the canyon and shoot movies and stuff like that. So I've, it's always been like something that I've wanted to do. And writing has always been something that I've that I've done. And mm -hmm. 
as a kid staying up late as a kid like in junior high high school like staying up late to write on the computer and i remember like friends like hey we're gonna hang out tonight you're gonna come i was like i'm kind of in the zone like i'm in the zone right now like i'll see you guys like next weekend sort of thing and then in Utah, there's. This I like really- how I like how in this picture you're basically like a 35 year old writer. <laughs> it's like I gotta get, I gotta knock out pages. I gotta I knock got out de- pages. I got like I that. can't. I got a know, deadline to make. Like a typewriter. I can't, I can't play right now. And, yeah. But a couple of whiskey and a big, cigarette. Yeah. Yeah. My I'm deadline. Out pages. Yeah. My <laughs> deadline. Mom, get the hell out of my office. <laughs> so, uh, so in in Utah, there's uh, it's predominantly Mormon, and there kind of became a rise of like this Mormon film industry, mm. uh, like these low budget movies made for Mormons, and it was this weird thing to to see a movie in a theater that was about Mormons, and and they were like there are comedies, there are dramas, there was all these weird things. It was just a very strange, and and it's still like a really big part of like. Uh, the, this Utah film industry. So my very first job was my brother was working. He got a job working for one of these production companies and they were shooting their next movie. And so I was like, I need to work on this movie. Like I have this in, like, let me, let me work on this movie. And it was right out of high school. And I was the assistant props master. Wow. And I didn't care. I had no Uh, idea. Assistant. Assistant to, to the, the prop, prop master. master. Assistant to the prop master. Nice. Yeah. So and, let's not get all big headed about what Okay. You <laughs> you're right. You're right. And it wasn't like something that I was like, is props open? Like it wasn't, I would be a PA. I would do mm-hmm. anything sort of thing. And so they put me in props. And that was like the first feature film that I ever worked on. Oh. And okay. so, so, the, and I was like 18, 17, 18. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, eventually, as, as time goes on, I go to school, my wife and I, we moved to L.A. And then that's kind of where the L.A. stuff kind of happened. But that was like the first. That was the very beginning. Okay. Um, and, and Jacob, your background's also sort of unique, and you've worked in various capacities on a bunch of different stuff. Uh, ranging from yeah. the Nickelodeon animated series Mutton Stuff to, like, I was looking through your resume, like, The Avengers and Yo Gabba Gabba, just all kinds of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah. I know there's a, I... there's a lot of overlap with Drew's resume, um, and I do want to get into how you guys sort of teamed up as, as a partnership. Um, but I wanted to know from you also how you decided you wanted to work in the industry and if writing was also a goal for you when you first started. Or is that something that came as as you sort of worked in different capacities and found out that that's sort of a direction you wanted to go? Uh, writing writing was always the goal. Writing, okay. producing, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I've never been driven to direct. I think that requires kind of like a, a, like a different type of brain that I think directors are are wired like in a really special way like their storytelling is is really like a level above but writing and producing was always kind of on the radar for me i mean drew's like inspiration was jurassic park i remember going and i watched the ninja turtles uh in the in the movie theater i don't know how many times like the old school ninja turtle like the henson designed up the, the poster the, the was pub- terif- that poster was terif- terif- oh man when they're but like i remember going like poking out of the sewer lid scared the heck mm. out of me yeah but there was like a slice of pizza too so it kind of undercuts like, it it's like mm. we're scary We'll kill you, but we're fun. <laughs> but we're fun. So, uh, like, I remember I watched that movie so much. And then at some point, I was at like the library, and they had this like making of Ninja Turtles on VHS, mm. and it was like that kind of like that kind of like 
EPK content that somehow got released and they were at libraries. And then I realized all these making of uh, documentary things were at libraries on VHS. And so I would get those and take them home and watch them. And I remember kind of just falling in the love, falling in love with the process. I, you know, I growing up, I did uh, student council and I did student council, not because I was like a total douchebag, Drew, but I teach you to it. <laughs> if I make the joke first, you can't do it. I wasn't uh, going to say anything. I did. I did student. I was. I did student council so I could write sketches because I had two thousand people at my disposal that had to sit down and watch a show that I made like three times a year, mm-hmm. and that was that's what was the funnest thing about that for me is that I had this captivated this audience. They weren't captivated. I had an audience that was forced to watch <laughs> to watch whatever I was writing. So my first. So I that was always the goal, kind of going through school and kind of doing that stuff. And then my first job in L.A. was working on Yo Gabba Gabba. And I, I knew some people on the show. I'd kind of emailed. I'd I'd interviewed for like three different jobs on that, and then I eventually ended up as like their post PA. Mm-hmm. And I had I had a background in editing, so I kind of was able to manage some of that stuff for them, and you know, drive all over town, delivering hard drives. And and I remember, I'll never forget. Like I knew, I knew the the main thing that got me that job was I knew the camera system that they were shooting on. You know, it was like this old school old school Vericam thing. It was it wasn't that old, but it was like one of the first waves of like digital, you know, cameras that were and they shot in this like really archaic form of like capture media. I knew it really well. And that's kind of what landed me this job in post. And then I'll never forget like we were filming uh with the killers, the band The Killers. Mm. They were all there. They were on tour. They were in LA. They were performing that night at like, I don't know, Staples Center or wherever or, or wherever they were performing. And they were driven down to you know, Downey, California to film this thing. And right then there was like this, uh, this strike, like IOTC showed up and had this like crew walkout where all of our camera ops wow. and all of our people left. And so we're sitting here with the killers and the director. And all of a sudden I get this call over the walkie talkie and they're like, Jake, can you come r- turn on the cameras? And so then I, I literally go down to stage. And I fire up you're the, a, you're I'm a scab. <laughs> I, I go down to stage and I fire up the cameras and turn the whole thing on. And me and this other guy were just like the camera ops for this like four, five person killers music video shoot for Yo Gabba Gabba. And that's it. We shot it for about 30, 40 minutes because they had to leave. And then the strike was over. Everyone else came back on and, you know, we realized we didn't have like the lighting rig. I mean, it was like, it was a joke. It was like, but we got it. And we were able to actually get something because of it. And so that made a good impression uh, that I was a scab, that I was willing to work non-union. <laughs> it's something that, that now, if I was the, like, now I wouldn't do that now. I right. wouldn't do that as, as I would, but I would definitely have done that, you know, yeah, my first job. Sure. No, I mean, that's a cool story. Uh, and I, re- I remember now that you mentioned Yo Gabba Gabba and the Killers, I remember they used to have like the best guests the best and we're going to get into that in, in in your current project archibald's next big thing because you guys have some amazing guest stars as well uh but yeah i mean like the foo fighters will show up and wearing these funky costumes singing some nonsensical yeah. song with these crazy psychedelic creatures it's pretty interesting um I, kids love it though. i remember my son used to love that show um uh so okay so writing was also a goal for you coming in so that's cool to know um and at, when did you guys meet? Because I know there's some overlap on some of your earlier stuff. I don't know if it was Larry King now or where where it sort of started. But how did you guys actually meet? And at what point did you guys say, we're going to have a writing partnership? Well, we met at 
BYU, Brigham okay. University. Oh, okay. So and way before you got out here. Way before we got out here. Gotcha. And it's kind of an interesting story because we both were applying to the film program at BYU. Hmm. And so to put some context, this is right after Napoleon Dynamite has come out. And Jared Hess, who directed it, mm -hmm. and practically everyone who was on or in that movie, was from BYU. So there was this big uptick in BY in students trying to get into the BYU film program. So I don't know how many slots they had. It was like 30 slots or something. I don't know, Jake. Does that sound about right? 30? Yeah, I don't know. Something like that. And then they had like 1,200 students like apply. And mm -hmm. this was like, this had never really happened before. So Jake and I met because we, you have to take this like intro to film or intro to the major or something like that. On like Tuesdays, it was the big class with like all 1200 and like Thursdays, it was the mini lab session. Jake and I had lab session together mm -hmm. and everyone who's applying to film school, like you, you think you're the smartest person, right? You like, oh, Scorsese, oh, oh, Spielberg, <laughs> oh, oh, like everyone's trying to outsmart like the other person. And so that's how Jake and I first met, trying to outsmart each other because we thought the uh, I was better than him. He thought I was, he was better than me. Who, who actually we, is better? It's true. Okay. Jake. Oh. oh. That's why the partnership works. <laughs> and That's so... It. We, we had these like, like film conversations, just like, not even in class, like before class and being like, that movie sucked. And like, no, that movie sucked. Like, you suck. Let's <laughs> fight. Do you want to take us outside, champ? Right. Yeah. But, but see, that's the thing. We didn't know each other's names. Like maybe I heard his name, but it wasn't like, oh, hey, Jake. Oh, hey, Drew. It wasn't mm -hmm. like that at all. It was just like, that guy's a, <laughs> I don't like him. He doesn't like <laughs> that me. Guy, that, that guy seemed a... like he was in student council a bunch. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That guy wants to wants to get elected again. And <laughs> so then Jake, we both applied to the program. I did not get into the program. Jake went into the program. So then we never saw each other after that class. Mm. And I so I did history and Jake did film. And then it wasn't until in LA I move here and we my wife and I are hanging out with some friends and and our friend who was uh was an animation student at BYU. He was like, "Oh, my friend Jake and his wife are going to move to LA." This is not a joke. Instantly in my brain, it was like, "It's that guy. It's that guy from the Moffat." Yeah, that's how much of an impression. But, that's how much of an impression I left. Yes. But I didn't even remember his name. I was hmm. just like, "It's that guy. That guy from class." I don't know why, and it was. It's the weirdest thing. So then we all had these like mutual friends. We kind of started hanging out and then we liked each other. Like we were, we were both very funny and we both wanted to write. And so I don't know how it really came out of like, Hey, I know exactly. I know exactly. Write together. What happened was is we were both out of work. I oh, just that, like wrapped right. on like, I just think I just wrapped on like uh Ricky Schroeder's like army show. That's a, that's and I was a, on, oof. I was on, I was a the writer's assistant on the Glades. Hmm. That was on A and E. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And so we were like both in between jobs, and then uh, we were like, let's just like work on something. Let's just develop something. And so we started writing the expecting the worst pilot, which is about this couple that were trying to like conceive a child. It's been done like a hundred times since then, but the time it hadn't been done, right? Uh, and so we like 
you know, developed this thing and that script landed us a manager. So at that point it was like, oh, okay, well, there's something, there's something to this, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's what kind of fueled us to keep working at it. Um, so you had, you talked about this friend who worked in animation. Um, how did you go from writing pilots and doing other things to sort of that transition into animation? Uh, nowadays, it seems like, especially with so much primetime animation and things like that, there's, uh, you know, animation and live action in terms of half hour, you know, sitcoms and things like that. They're, I don't want to say they're interchangeable because they're certainly different sort of crafts, but people c- tend to go back and forth. Uh, we had on... I don't remember who was a guest that was uh, worked in animation that said uh, they when you when they look at scripts for writers when they're staffing a show it's not about like they don't look at animation scripts they look at comedy scripts they look at you know half hour yeah. sitcoms and that's why you hire your animation writers um, it's not like they're specifically looking only for animation scripts so how did you guys sort of end up working in animation luck yeah it, um, it, it was, <laughs> fell into it was it. something we kind of fell into mm-hmm. because so jake and i were working on all these different kind of shows he's working at mutt and stuff i'm at good mythical morning like and the whole process while we're at larry king uh at aura tv doing that stuff the whole time we're trying we're hustling we're mm-hmm. trying we're writing live action pilots and features and when uh it just kind of happened with a friend that jake was working with was shooting a short film and asked if we could help cast it because we're friends with john keeter from napoleon oh right and so he's like hey can you get john this script and we're like sure so we sent it to him and whatever like that was their thing sort of thing but then we found out that john was going to be in this short film and that tony hale was going to be in it hmm and we we're like, we love Tony, big fans of Tony. And our friend directing was like, come on down, come to the set and visit because we know him, we know, we know John and we'd love to meet Tony. That would be great. And so we went down and, and we kind of just struck up this friendship with Tony and it was never a, uh, like, Hey, let's pitch Tony something like let's pitch Tony. Something. It, it became a, it started as a very natural, just friendship. Mm-hmm. I was about to be a dad. Jake was a dad. Tony's a dad. That was something that we all kind of bonded in being dads in Los Angeles and just trying to like get through life sort of thing. That's a sitcom in and of itself. (laughs) Right? It was just a very honest like friendship. And Mm -hmm. then it came to a point like we would go and have lunch with Tony just occasionally just like, hey, let's go get lunch. And and then he asked us if um, we'd want to come to Baltimore he's filming Veep mm-hmm. and he's out there just by himself. And he's like, you guys should just come out for a couple of days and hang out. And we're like, okay. <laughs> so we flew out to Baltimore and we hung out on set and we got to meet the cast and go out to dinner. And on, on Saturdays they had their table read, mm-hmm. which was really f- an amazing experience because they don't let like people just kind of come in. Sure. And so <laughs> they let us come in and we're sitting up. It's a, it's like the big rectangle of tables. Everyone comes in and sits. We're sitting behind Tony. Julie Louis Dreyfus comes in, and we'd already met her. And she's like, "Hi, boys!" And we're like, "Hi!" Like, 
it was great. And then to see that process of, of them doing the table read and they're like, you know what, this isn't working. Whoever was in that scene got up and went to the other side of the room and just workshopped the scene. They're mm. just doing improv. And I have an improv background. Jake's got like an improv stand-up background. So we were just like, this is, this is amazing. And so it was on that trip that Tony's like, uh, what are you guys working on? Like, is there something we could do together? And we're like, we have this thing that we could pitch to you. And it was a drama, hmm. horror, takes place in Los Angeles, zombies. Like it was, it was not the right thing. And, mm-hmm. and we figured that out pretty quickly. But then was, this is that this oh. is the interesting part about it was how this became this like classic example of like write what you know. Like mm-hmm. we were trying to write this like drama procedural that Tony Hill was gonna like produce and take those reps. Uh and then we're like, you know, Drew and I have this comedy background. She's one of the funniest people I know. It's really funny. And we're here we are, we're just like write what you know. And then eventually Tony writes this like children's book mm-hmm. called Archibald's Next Big Thing. And it was like a it was like a picture book. You know, kind of like, you know, a la Dr. Seuss, kind of rhyming. But the art in it was really amazing. The art was really fun and the characters were fun. And I remember we went to this like reading at the last bookstore that Tony did. And Drew tells me, he's like, this should be a kid show. This should make like a kid show. And he had a big vision, like kind of flesh it out a little bit more like Simpsons, make Archibald the center. And there was something there about that character of Archibald that we kind of were able to crack and kind of tap into. And then you add the fact that Tony's bringing the voice to it and his comedic background to it. And then all of a sudden it became this exercise of writing what we knew and that was comedy. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of leaned into that and that then that we wrote this script and, you know, Drew and I are both working on these jobs. He's on Good Mythical Morning. I'm working on this dog show, this live action preschool dog show. And we write this script and we send it to Tony. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you think of this? And he's like, I love it. And then our agent just started setting up meetings for the pitch. So, Archibald's next big thing, your pilot. You had mentioned Tony, which if listeners recognize the name but don't know necessarily, Tony is obviously Buster from Arrested Development. It was Gary and Veep. I mean, he's just... If, if, if that was his whole career and it's not, that would be enough for me to love him. Yeah, it'd be a great career. <clears throat> right, yeah. no, absolutely. He's, he's amazing. Um, but, so, you would discuss this procedural drama thing and he just... Uh, that obviously didn't materialize um no it did not and so is this something you just went off on your own and did knowing he wrote the book or did you say hey what do you think about this and he said yeah go for it and you went off and did it was that something you did on your own and just brought it to him he's like he loved it or is it something where you kind of worked with him and 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 said hey we were considering doing this what do you think i i think it was more kind of like hey let's just write this cool yeah. And let's just give it to Tony, just see what he thinks sort of thing. And we had like an initial conversation about it. Right. You know, we kind of met with him and some other people. And then at some point, at some point, Drew and I, let's just write it. Like, mm-hmm. let's just show him what it looks like on the page. Right. You know, because Tony has read countless scripts. Oh, sure. You know, and so like it was, let's just show him what it looks like on the page so we could wrap his head around how it looks. And, you know, because it was a, our, our take on it was pretty different than the book. Sure. And it was like, how do you execute? How do you take this like tone of this kid's book and elevate it and also but also keep the intent and keep the heart and right. keep the character but by still making it expansive and feel bigger? And so that was kind of what we tried to do in that 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 eleven minute script we wrote. Right, right. Yeah, because they are broken into two sort of 
episodes per episode. I don't know what you would describe them as. Yeah. Yeah, we kind of um, call them stories, like two stories right. per episode. Kinda Which like, a lot of animated shows are like that. Exactly. Yeah. SpongeBob is like that. Right. Our show is like that. A lot of shows. Yeah. Right. Um, so now using Archibald's next big thing or Archibald's next big thing is here, right? Isn't that the, the Which, new title? Although it's yeah, season two shows. Whichever, whichever you prefer. Show, whatever you prefer. A show so nice, we named it twice. Right. Um, as sort of our case study, you know, sort of diving into television writing and developing animated series. Uh, and if anyone in the live chat has questions, feel free to drop them in and, you know, we'll do our best to include them and, and bring them up. But um, so first off, just sort of as as uh, preface to this discussion, Archibald's Next Big Thing uh, spent two seasons on Netflix and now uh, two seasons on Peacock, the, the fourth season which fairly recently, right? A couple of weeks ago or yeah, a few I think weeks last, ago. Yeah. Maybe last week. I think. Yeah. Um, congratulations on that, by the way. It's a, Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, I've seen the show. I have a kid, so I've seen the show. <laughs> um, um, and, but if, if viewers and listeners haven't seen it, if you don't have kids, maybe um, it, it's, it's really cute and clever. Uh, and it's, it has a ton of guest stars. It reminded me of like a 30 rock, um, you know, guest stars that would make, most network shows jealous. I mean, let me go down the list here. I mean, uh, Tony obviously does the voice of Archibald, which he's really good. I didn't, it took me a while to realize that it was him. I knew he had, <laughs> you know, created the book and was in the show, but I didn't know it was him. Uh, Rosamund Pike does an amazing job as a narrator, and you've had guest stars from, you know, again, Julia Louis Dreyfus, Joel McHale, Gary Cole, Mark Marin, Jane Lynch, Henry Winkler, Weird Al, Christine Baranski, RuPaul, Rob Riggle, Chris Barnett. I mean, I can just go on and on and on. John Heater's in it. Napoleon Dynamite's brilliant. Yeah. Um, Rachel Ray, Paul Shear, um, half the cast of SNL, apparently. <laughs> um, so, okay. So you took this uh, book that was co-created by Tony Hale, wrote a pilot for it. He says, this is great. Let's do something with it. What happens at that point? How do you pitch this to networks? What's the next step? You've got a book. You've got a script. Now what? You've got a star. Now what? Right. And, I, and I've said this before. It's, mm -hmm. like, it's not lost on Jake and myself that when you go into a pitch with Tony Hale, mm -hmm. who has already won an Emmy for Veep, sure. who is this beloved comedian, that really helps. Oh, sure. That really, really helps. Uh, I think uh, we've talked about this before, Jake is like, people just want to meet Tony mm -hmm. because he's literally the nicest person. Like, and that's such like to downplay to call someone nice, literally the nicest person. So friendly, so funny. And is also just very aware of story. So when we, when we wrote the script, it, we, we did some notes with Tony back and forth, but for the most part, it stayed as what it was. Like, what is the actual pilot? It's pretty much what we wrote. So the process started with our agent, which mm -hmm. is also another one of these hurdles that aspiring writers are trying to, like, they are the gatekeeper in, right. a, in a certain sense. And, and so our agent was really uh, Michael Claudney. He was uh, very... Uh, instrumental in getting our our pitch through towns we pitched it at uh universal studios we pitched it at jim henson mm -hmm. and then we pitched it at dreamworks and and dreamworks was the place mm -hmm. was the place and it landed the, the kind of piggyback off, piggyback off that of what drew was saying is you know what goes into the pitch 
Like if you're actually looking for like that kind of nuts and bolts, like at the time I was working, I mean, Drew and I had pitched a bunch of stuff uh, before, but never like this formal pitch of like an animated project. But I had been working as like a associate producer for, you know, Sid Marty Croft mm -hmm. on kind of their catalog and stuff. And I was building these pitch decks for them. Mm. And so I kind of had this idea of what we'd want to go into the pitch deck. And so we kind of started fleshing it out, pulling art from the books you know, in, in our pitch deck, if you're asking for like a crude rubric of what it is, I mean, our our pitches kind of start off talking about the why of the show, mm -hmm. like what the heart of the show is, like what's this kind of like underlying message we're trying to get across, especially with kids. You don't need that kind of stuff as much when you're pitching adult content. It's the thematics of it aren't nearly as important, but you're kind of pitching on the why and then you're going to pitch a lot on your main character. Why? Why Archibald? In the case of Archibald, why? What makes him a character that people are going to want to watch mm -hmm. 100 episodes of and then you pitch some of the ancillary characters and then go into like a pilot pitch uh in the case of this up in the case of this thing you know drew and i drew came to us drew, drew came to me early on with this idea of cutting together like a trailer for this thing and so we took art from the book and we took it into you know the editing software and we added music and we kind of cut this like 90 second kind of we, we did the voices oh, yeah. okay. wife we even what was interesting about that trailer is is like we had the narrator idea built into that trailer that was something that from the beginning we were like let's have a narrator let's have her a british woman mm. and so jake's wife did some of the the vo who, for that. who was not a british woman she's just, a, a just american just a, woman. Just, just a regular woman yeah but she so we we did a lot of that stuff knowing that it's going to help it's going to help convey the tone mm -hmm. right anything that you can do to kind of help convey the tone it will help add some specificity to what you're trying to sell and that little teaser trailer did that for did that for us so when we went into these places we were able to kind of show them not only the art of the book mm -hmm. and not only why these characters are great and how they interplay off each other but also land mm -hmm. on a, a fun story and at the end of it it's like here here's 90 seconds of just an idea of kind of how this feels comedically and that's that was kind of the what was that part of that pitch and mm -hmm. we also kind of acted out the pitch like yeah, Jake, that's right. G, like uh, pilot acted out the pilot. Excuse me. Like Jake would read the action. Mm -hmm. Tony would have would read the the Archibald lines. I would read any kind of ancillary characters sort of thing, and we did like a really condensed version of like a pilot reading in the room, so they could hear Tony being Archibald. They could hear like the pacing, like the style of the comedy that we wanted to do, and so that was also a really interesting part of the pitch. And then. After all that, you have some sort of leave behind, right? You have something mm. that you're going to leave behind them. You don't want it to be, you don't need to be like a soap, like a show Bible. No one needs to make a series Bible for these pitches. People sometimes get, we've done that before where we spent all this time making a, a Bible for a show that's never going to be. It's, it's a leave behind can be as simple as a couple pages about your show. In our case, the leave behind was the script, mm -hmm. the actual pilot script. In animation, that's an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, leave behinds in like the lab act, live action world are, are rarely a script, you know, maybe for like first time writers trying to sell a show, maybe, but they're usually something really small, a couple pages, maybe that they leave behind the deck, something so internally they can run it up to the gatekeepers and kind of mm -hmm. show them what this is and how it looks and, you know, what the pieces are. We left behind, I think we sent them the script and like that teaser trailer. Oh, and I think Tony like had copies of the book. Like he would like, hey, oh, that's do right. you have yeah. kids? He's like, do you have kids? Yeah, I have a kid. Oh, what's their name? And he pulls out the, nice. the Sharpie and like, here's a book for you. Like, so that that also was nice too. <laughs> nice little touch. Right.
Your name is your kid's name is Steve. Isn't that your name? Steve Jr. No, Steve Jr. Yeah, no, no, we don't want to give him. No, no, that's fine. Um, uh, we have a question. Actually, I'm going to insert here. Uh, Sam Weaver asks, um, so you had art from books available to help sell your animated story. Obviously, the visual look for characters imp- is important when selling an animated series. What's your advice to writers who aren't artistically talented enough to draw character sketches, storyboards for their characters? If you lack that talent, can you sell an animated show at all? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, if you lack that talent, well, that is obviously a talent that Jake and I lack. So mm, with, yeah. with Archibald, like we don't draw. Mm. We are not artists in, in that sense. Archibald was, we're lucky because we had that book. You have that visual style, like right there sort of thing. If you don't have any of that stuff, I mean, it might require a little bit of uh, seeking out an artist, whether on like art station or like deviant art, or even, I would even say maybe even like Fiverr, hmm. like something like that. If And using a little bit of your own money I mean, that sucks when you're trying to break out, but that might be uh, a good way to try to find someone who can do some, or if you know someone, I mean, even, I don't know, even art students at in a college or a university or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. I think there are people out there who are willing to, to create and to help out on the show. I don't know if that's what you're gonna say. Jim. Well, I mean, the good news is too, uh, you don't have to be so much of an artist. You have to convey kind of the tone and what you're going for. So you could use other different styles to kind of get mm. what you're going. And then, but on top of that, when you eventually sell a show to someone, Cartoon Network or DreamWorks, or Disney or whoever, they're going to have those artists that are going to eventually render your ideas for you. And they're going to take them and they're going to run them through their development stuff. And you're going to be able to hopefully weigh in on how, how those characters look. And then it becomes collaborative. Mm-hmm. So, it's not going to come down to, I don't, I doesn't feel like it's going to come down to your ability, you know, if you can draw or not, it's going to be, can you convey what it will look like, you know? And then right. at some point you're going to be, I mean, even Archibald, you know, the final render on how Archibald look, looks very different from the book. You know, the books are really flat. They're almost mm. kind of like these like paper cutout images, you know, like these fun textures, but in, in, in our version they're they look totally different. You know, because we had a different, you know, the artists come in and they render them for, you know, for TV. So, you know, the good news is like what you were saying, there are plenty of places to kind of find those artists to collaborate with. But yeah. and going and and pitching with art, I think really helps. It helps. I, I think if you're going in there just with a script and and you're just kind of talking about the story, that's fine. And you have to do that sort of thing. But if you have some sort of visual that can go with that, I think that's going to. And, and like Jake said, it doesn't have to be like, this is what it is. This is the final version. Mm-hmm. This picture, this isn't. But it's like this sure. sort of thing. So well, we I, said our I think buddy, that even helps. We said our buddy did this practice pitch on us for this kind of like puppet comedy that he's that he's pitching. And it has, you know, he hasn't made these puppets. You know, he ha- has this idea of what they look like. And mm-hmm. he's pitching all this stuff with kind of a lot of stock photos, kind of some pictures that he's kind of done in Photoshop. And it was hilarious. And it totally conveyed you know, just how funny the show was and what it was going to be when mm-hmm. it eventually became that. And that's what's most important. I yeah. Um, how much artwork would you say is sort of that bare minimum? I mean, if they had, 
like character sketches for their three or four lead characters of their cartoon of their animated series is that enough because i would think that uh, having known known or knowing a lot of comic book artists and people in in that arena you know and and also you could find them on fiverr you can find them on deviantart somebody who is willing to draw a character sketch which is far less time intensive than say an entire comic book um, yeah. or even storyboards, just a character sketch is actually fairly fun and, and quick for a lot of these artists. You can get it done fairly cheap, maybe 50 bucks or less for a character sketch, a solid character sketch. Yeah. And, or, I mean, maybe you have friends, everyone has friends and, and who ask around, somebody probably knows an artist that may be willing to help you out. That kind of thing is three or four yeah, character to... sketches enough. You think? Yeah. To start? Yeah. And I would, I would also say Instagram is a good place to kind of oh, yeah. track these kind of artists, but I would say, you know, three or four is definitely enough. You definitely need to see kind of an idea of what your main character is going to look mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. you know, and then after that, you can kind of use some reference guides, reference pictures for everyone else. But you kind of need a starting point of like, this is kind of what your main character, the ballpark of what they look like. Right. Right. Um, okay. Let's see here. Um, Julia Doodle, Doolittle asks, um, Hey, Drew and Jacob, thanks for doing this. I feel like animation teams have different structures from live action shows. Do you guys have final say on what gets on screen? Uh, our, oops, it's her con- comment is going to be continued. Are, are, are showrunners and art directors collabing with writers or are the teams separated? Um, Can we repeat the first part of the question? Yeah, so it says, um, I feel like animation teams have different structures from live action shows. Do you guys have final say on what gets on screen? Are showrunners and art directors collabing with writers or are the teams separated? That's from Julia Doolittle. I think there's there's, there's two parts of that. There's Mm -hmm. There's the development side of that. And then there's the actual like show in production side of that. In the development side, we were really involved with the character design, locations, prop design, backgrounds, like all of that stuff. We were we were really involved. And uh, when the show was greenlit, um, we uh, we hired Eric Fogel mm. as kind of the uh, as one of the showrunners. We were not showrunners on Archibald, which was so weird because it's like it's our show. We developed it. We pitched mm-hmm. it. You're not showrunners. And that was okay because we were so green. We mm-hmm. were green writers and we understood that. But we were still heavily involved in the development process. So Eric came in and he did Celebrity Deathmatch. He did uh, Glenn Martin DDS. Wally Kazam. Wally Kazam. Kazam. Doing a lot of stuff on Nickelodeon and some like some like Barbie movie sort of things. And then directing and storyboarding. So, so talented. So talented. And so he was the one, when we got into development... He was the one managing all that stuff, but mm. he was really great because he was like, what do you guys think about this? I think it could have, he could have easily have not involved us in mm. any of that development process, but it was, it was great that he and Tony really valued what we were saying as far as character designs and even as far as like casting and, and music and those sort of things as well. And then the second part of while in production, it's a it's a it's an interesting thing when you're making the show because there'll be a couple times where it's like okay guys this needs to be a bottle episode we mm. cannot make any more like this next episode can't be a big expansive location we've designed the house 
that Archibald and his siblings live in. Let's make a house episode. Mm -hmm. And let's have only a couple new characters. Do we have this Gary Cole who plays uh, Officer Jones? Let's have him come back. Let's we'll bring him back. Let's only design one new character. So in that regard, the art, uh, like uh, the design and stuff, does kind of influence the writing. But it really, it it does, it never felt constrictive because it was. We always kind of viewed it as like, okay, let's figure this out. Mm -hmm. We have a bottle episode inside the house. What are we going to do? And one of our really talented writers, Noelle Laura, she's like, Jello. The house gets filled with Jello, and we're like. Perfect. Let's do that sort mm -hmm. of thing. And so, so that in that sense, the writing and the design kind of play a part in it. And the writers were never like approving, like, oh, this is what the character of Jeremy should look like. But the but because our staff was just, it was we were all so very tight and close, and we had this one wing of DreamWorks. It was just our show at the end of the building so people weren't like coming through or anything it was that was the archibald wing mm. they would come in and be like hey what do you guys think of this picture and we in the writer's room and be like oh we love that that's so great and everyone's high-fiving and everything so it, it in that regard less so involved in in the writing but and the and the the, the design but very much a marriage for sure mm. now Having worked on other animated series, um, whether it's uh, like Madagascar or Little Wild and stuff like that, do you find that to be the case in general uh, in terms of earlier on, you're a little more, uh, there's a little more collaboration between the writing staff and the art department. And when you're in production, it kind of goes off and does its own thing and you know they may show you things and, and bring you things and, and inc include you but really the sort of the train is is moving and you're working on the next episodes kind of thing yeah definitely and and madagascar a little wild that show you know the episode we wrote for that we were just freelance writers mm. on so we're even more removed you know we're right. kind of writing this and, and handing it off and of course the showrunners and everyone you know story editor they're going to carry on and, and nail that episode mm -hmm. Uh, so it was just, you know, so different roles too. you know, that one, we were just hired guns to come in and write a really fun episode. And um, it's interesting because uh, Julia's question led to sort of a question that I had that sort of about specificity, which was just uh, kind of came up as I was doing research for this episode. I rewatched the pilot and something that struck me that I didn't think about until I saw it again was uh, how much description do you give to supporting characters? For example, there was a line in the pi the pilot, the second episode of the pilot. So I don't know if you guys wrote that one too. Um, uh, well, key, the keymaster. Uh, is that the yes? That's the one. Yes. <clears throat> Where a goose uh, says, "I'm honking messed up because someone stole his." Uh, bowling ball honking obviously relates to the fact that he's a goose. Uh, the horse gets his car stolen and says, I guess I have to hoof it from here, obviously playing at the fact that he's a horse. Now, is that something that you, obviously in those situations, you have to make a note of that is a horse, that is a goose, because otherwise the joke doesn't make sense. But for characters who don't have specific lines that are reflective of, you know, what animal type there are, do, does it matter? Do you specifically say, you know, if the, there's a cat selling ice cream, for example, do you just put ice cream vendor or do you put the ice cream vendor cat something, or do you just let the animation team figure it out? 
Well, it, it depends because, like, at that point when you're in production, mm-hmm. you know, they have a bunch of characters designed. I mean, even when we started writing episodes two, three, and four, and five, right. they had this like giant character lineup of like 20, 30 characters that they have, that oh, they gotcha. have you know, pop- populated the world with. So at some point in production, those characters have names. And so at some point we start naming them gotcha. their character names because then, you know, they it's easier for production. Mm-hmm. You know, it becomes like, okay, that person, we know who that is this person blah 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 right and then at some point if we're going to give them lines okay let's cast this person you got to think is this going to be a recurring characters it's a one-off mm-hmm. how much do how hard do you want to cast mm-hmm. this because if you go after a celebrity you may be only be able to get them for like an episode mm-hmm. but if you go after if you use like these really talented voice actors then you could get them pretty regularly mm-hmm. so that's like it's all kind of this like this dance this dance this collaboration of just you know kind of talking it out right but like, let's say early on in a pilot or early on in an episode where characters are not named and you have like, for example, with the horse joke, was the character a horse before you wrote the line? And so you saw that and you like, hey, let's come up. This is a good joke for that. Or is it something like, hey, I've got a good joke for that. Let's make this character a horse kind of thing. I mean, each one's think, a little different. Uh-huh. Yeah, each one's different. I think specifically for the horse one, I think it was like, we have some horses designed. Gotcha. Let's put the horse guy in there. <laughs> And then it's like, oh, looks like I'm hoofing it. Right. Sort of thing like yeah. that works for the horse. I gotcha. It comes gotcha. out like an animatic. Oh, we see that it's a horse. Right. And it's there. But I know the honk. I'm a big honk and mess. You know, that was in oh, there. I'm just a big honk and mess. That was in that script. Yeah. Okay. In, in and, and that was in there specified by you guys as a goose. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because goose, goose because, date. Right. Yeah, okay. date. And and he comes back in a lot more episodes. Right. And, <laughs> but, and and but, so, but for example, what if a character does not have a specific line for that? Again, we're talking just early on. So for the writers out there who may be wanting to pitch a, uh, a, a TV, uh, you know, an animated series, how specific do they have to get with, like, if they want to throw in a line, I mean, that's not specifically tailored to that animal. <clears throat> Should they just make this ice cream vendor an ice cream vendor or should they make it a cat to kind of get people into the thought process of, Oh, this is an animated series with a bunch of animals. What, what is your advice for something like that? I I would say be specific because if you, if you design a cat ice cream vendor, Mm. you have, they have designed an ice cream vendor cat. Gotcha. That can appear in, the next three episodes in the background. It's just right. like what we did with this horse. We had a horse character and it's like, oh, let's bring him into this sort of thing. You can reuse that character. Gotcha. You, you might need to do some redressing of like clothing or something like that. Mm-hmm. But but being that specific helps because you're, especially at the beginning, you're only populating this world. So then at the end, when you're 20 episodes in, you we had this really amazing poster that mm-hmm. was printed off that had every single character that we had designed. Gotcha. And it was just fascinating to look. There's like uh, over a hundred of these characters and we didn't even scratch the surface on all of them, but mm-hmm. it was, but being the specific of like, yes, make that this animal, make that this animal. Then you just have this whole world that you can play with and mm-hmm. populate in future episodes. Yeah. And my rule of thumb on that is like, is all about pacing, hmm. right? When you're controlling the pace, like you want the specificity when the pace is a little bit slower, you want things to be really specific when you're in like a middle of like a set piece and the pace is getting picked up all of a sudden adding like specificity like that could slow, could slow the momentum of that scene down. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when, you know, when you're, when you have like a scene 
that is driving towards something. Sometimes the specificity of those ancillary moments may kind of come down a little bit. Mm-hmm. You may not need to be like, oh, it's a cat ice cream vendor. You just need to get the, you just need the ice cream, you know, whereas like, you know, early on, it could, it, it kind of changes. So I would fill each one of those out. But Drew's right. Never, it never hurts to be specific mm-hmm. with that stuff because it shows you're thinking of, so you're thinking about it and it helps paint the picture. Just specificity is king. Right. No, that's cool. Okay. That's good to know. Uh, and I'm basically, I'm just repeating this ice cream cat vendor because I'm hoping in season five you'll have a cat ice cream vendor. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. Named name Kevin. Kevin the cat. Well, Call you know, it, if it happens to be named Kevin, that's. Hmm, you know. I see what's going on. I'm going to get on the phone. I'm going to get on the phone with Peacock right now. We're going to pitch him that. <laughs> um, Peter Hayward asks Is storyboard versus script still a thing in modern animation? Which do you two work on and have you worked on the other? We're on Archibald was a script driven show. Okay. So in that case, storyboard artists don't even pick up a pen. Hmm. Don't even pick up a pencil until the script is locked. Gotcha. Uh, whereas in board driven shows, which we did some springboards, we wrote some springboard episodes for Sanjay and Craig, hmm. which was a board driven show. We kind of came up some episode ideas on that that never got used. Uh, don't go looking for our, our episodes. But for that one, we wrote like these springboards and we actually got to go to one of these storyboard pitches mm-hmm. for that and the way that worked is they would write this really crude outline you know three or four pages of kind of what the scenes are maybe some dialogue in the outline but it's not a script and then the storyboard artists you know usually two at a time you know they would kind of each cover this thing and, and draw it in tandem and then they would pitch it back so they'd pitch it back to like the showrunners and to the different board teams to kind of get feedback and then it would start to really flesh out and then it would start to become kind of what that episode is and then at some point you know, it would get taken into animatic and they would lock it for time. And that's kind of how board driven shows are ran. They never really, they never really write a script. They just write these little outlines that mm-hmm. uh, the storyboard artists. And so now when you are leaning on your storyboard artists as kind of these writers, as kind of abilities to craft jokes and to kind of elevate and to punch it and to help out the story. And then, uh, you know, on our show, script driven show, it's like the opposite. It's a lot of, a lot of writing the scripts beforehand, but then some of the best jokes in our scripts kind of come from the storyboard artists kind of finding a moment and, and finding a nice visual gag mm-hmm. or even writing in, temping out, you know, a joke that goes into it. That was always a really fun thing to see when we would go to animatics. We, we used a company in Australia called Dave, Dave Enterprises, I think that's what they're called, or Dave Entertainment. I don't mm-hmm. know why they're called Dave. But it, they're all a bunch of old like Disney studio because like back in the 90s and the 2000s, Disney had all these storyboard artists making the like the those like direct to DVD mm. animated sequels. Right. And so there's this huge wealth of talent of these artists in Australia. And so we used the, the we use Dave. And it was so Dave. fun to we use Dave. Yeah. I don't think anyone there was actually Cold Dave. <laughs> It's like you uh, see like plumbers, like, you know, yeah. have a problem with your, your plumbing? Call Dave. Oh, yeah. right. And so it was so fun watching these animatics and seeing these kind of new hidden jokes that mm-hmm. they put in. And some of them were so funny. And we're like, yes, keep that. That works perfectly. And I will take credit for it. I'm just kidding. But it was, it was, that process was always a lot of fun to see their interpretation of, of our scripts. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they just came up with the funniest stuff. And sometimes some of the funny stuff, like they, they would do this really funny stuff and it's like, that's funny, but we can't use it. It's, oh. it's so good. Cause I think there was an episode 
where Archibald is on top of a mountain. It might've been part of the two part musical episode that Jake and I wrote. And they're up on a mountain and Archibald says like, oh, it looks like a postcard. And then the, the camera panned over and it was like a billboard of mm -hmm. like mountains on top of the mountain. And we were like, oh, that's really funny. It doesn't really work in this context. So we'll let's take that out. But it was funny and mm -hmm. we appreciate how the storyboard artists were always looking for opportunities to kind of plus the joke. Right. Um, going back to specificity, I actually had another thought. It's, again, talking about the episode with the, the master key, I noticed that Archibald's fridge was the shape of an egg and when it was stolen. Am I, am I spoiling the episode for everybody? Uh, no, his fridge no, is stolen. It's been out for a Spoiler while. Spoiler away. If they haven't watched it by now, spoilers' rights are gone. Um, and is that something again you specify? Because it doesn't play into the story. He, it's just a fridge that's stolen. It just happens because he's a chicken. It's shaped like an egg. Is that something that again you write into the script, or is that something that is just the storyboard artists figure out? You just write he, they stole his fridge, and then they're hey, let's make it like an egg. I'm just I curious think, out of, again, specificity, how detailed should writers who have never written animation but want to write an animated series or develop one, how specific should they get in terms of their description of items and things like that? Yeah, as far as the house, mm -hmm. the house was one of the first images that we had designed when DreamWorks picked up the show mm -hmm. and we were starting to design because we were preparing for our pitch to go to Netflix. Mm -hmm. The house was one of the first things that, and we were just like, that's so great. And in our early conversations. I don't remember if in the book, the houses were shaped as eggs. Mm -hmm. I think they no, were. We, no, or were I they think not? We, I don't think they were. I think we have it. I have it somewhere. I don't care. Um, but um, so in that process of designing the house, uh, I don't think it was ever really a conversation of like, the fridge should mm -hmm. be shaped like an egg. I think one of the artists kind of were like, okay, it's an egg shaped house. Where can right. we kind of put these little these little flourishes of uh, egg design or someone did like a, the American Gothic uh, framed picture and they're like Archibald characters. Mm -hmm. Like people were kind of putting their own little flourishes. And so when that happened, we were like, that looks fantastic. That is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And then when we're writing the episode, it's already established that that fridge is egg shaped. So we never had to like write the egg-shaped fridge right. is is missing sort of thing. So something is uh, something like that. It's not terribly specific to mm -hmm. the story. So going into a lot of detail on on that kind of ancillary thing, not really uh, that important. Okay. But for that one specifically, the house was already designed, and 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 we just kind of fell into that sort of thing. Right. So those writers who are writing a pilot, an animated pilot, specificity in terms of characters, good specificity in terms of random locales and, and objects and things, unless it's story driven, you know, it has an exactly. impact on the story, then yeah. leave it out. Yeah. Gotcha. I was just going to say, unless it's like crucial to the story, sure. if it's like some MacGuffin or something, that, right. then yes, that thing, that thing should be specific. Right. And it's this thing too, or like Wes Anderson now, I guarantee if you read his scripts, he doesn't have to describe what that Wes Anderson style is. Sure anymore he just writes them and people just know if you're you know if you're reading a Wes anderson script what that kind of looks like but there are going to be key moments and props that you want to really land on if they if they are unique mm -hmm. and so it's just a matter of kind of weighing it out mm -hmm. and, and sometimes they're for jokes too 
describing a, a I can't think off the top of my head, but describing a, a prop or a location specifically for the joke, that's also appropriate as well, because it's just for laughs. It's just, we would say in the room, it's just a goof. Mm -hmm. Like we're just trying to do a goof. Like it's just for fun. And if it's, if it's, if it has like a purpose, then yes, the specificity is, is really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you guys pitched any other animated series yet since Archibald? Or has it mostly been live action stuff? Just a couple. It's okay. been, a, it's been yeah, animation. Yeah. Okay. And how do those pitches differ from live action other than the fact that, again, because I'm sure animated pitches now are probably different than with Archibald, i.e. unless Tony Hale's involved in those as well. Um, going in the two of you as opposed to the three of you, um, how, how do those pitches, again, an animated series with two creators not named Tony Hale uh, going into pitch an animated series versus live action. How, how does, what are the differences and, and what's, how do you prepare for those animated pitches? I mean, I think they're both, they're both very similar in, in hitting those certain benchmarks that you need to hit mm -hmm. in pitching any story, whether it is animated, whether it is live action. Um, the difference I think for us is because animation is such a visual, I mean, it's all visual media. Like that's, but animation is just so like specifically visual that the pitches that we've been involved in uh, for other shows that we're pitching, we have really laid into visuals mm -hmm. and creating presentations. And, and the same can be said for live action pitches, but um we've been really trying to lean into what we did with archibald we we had this little tone trailer that we made for archibald we've done that for other pitches that we have right now we've done uh some character design uh for archibald before we we kind of pitched we had these things we've done that same thing jake mm -hmm. did some really great photoshop really crude drawings we're not artists and part of our pitch was like this isn't final this isn't final we're not artists like, we are <laughs> not artists but this just kind of gives an idea and especially because the the shows that we're also pitching are also very abstract hmm. we have we have uh uh anthropomorphized did i say that right we have talking yep. talking clothing in one of our pitches hmm. and so to have talking clothing you, it really helps to have that visual and what it and, looks like and what it looks like because if you're just kind of like what like a talking sock like what right. is that and if it's like this is what he looks like remember it's not final art but this is gives you an idea that really helps to kind of get the wheels going in in their heads mm -hmm. and i would say that one of the main difference between you know development and live action development and animation is going to be time right is like one is like a crock pot and the other one is a microwave live action is a microwave right those are they can make a pilot in a matter of months and if you have like a hot showrunner and a hot show and you are getting great ratings they're going to say let's crank out another three of these mm -hmm. and they will really fast you don't have that luxury in animation mm. it, it takes a little more time your audience is even more niche right so and and also, too, like I would say going into live action pitches, you're not going to go in there with a ton of visuals. You're going to go in there with maybe some visuals that kind of encapsulate your tone, 
things like that. But ultimately, it's going to be about your hook, why that story needs to take place, your main character, why that character is such uh, an interesting personality that they need to have a whole show that revolves around them. And then it's going to come down to kind of your credits and your and the scripts and all that other stuff that's part of that pitch. Or if you have never sold a show, to go in and pitch a live action show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you can turn around and give them the best script they've ever read, and suddenly you got the green light. So it's it's a, it's a totally different game in the live action space than it is in animation. Mm-hmm. Animation, you get you get a chance to kind of give them a little idea of what that show is with how it looks and some of the comedy, whereas um, the live action stuff, it's going to be, you're just trying to convey that tone, you know, mm-hmm. they're very, very different. And how, if you know, how different is television versus feature in terms of animated development? I've heard, and it seems that a lot of feature on the feature side development, a lot of it is done in house. A lot of it's done either that or via an IP. Um, either a book series or a comic book or, or again, generated original ideas, but generated sort of in-house at Disney or in-house at DreamWorks. Whereas it seems like at least television is open, you know, developing animated series to new ideas, to things that haven't been produced before, or it's not generated necessarily in-house only at Nickelodeon or only at, you know, whatever network it happens to be, Peacock, for example. Um, Is that your uh, experience as well? Our, to be honest, we, we don't have really any feature animation mm-hmm. development. We've pitched a few animated features mm-hmm. and, and we know I, some I, people that work on, we know some people that work on those movies and work in those circles. Yeah. And a lot of times it does feel like the studio will kind of look within for the feature films. Mm-hmm. Has someone directed uh, an animated special? for the studio and did it do, and that person maybe has come from TV mm-hmm. and was given the opportunity to do kind of a, like a 30 minute holiday special or something like that. The stu- if that does well, the studio will then, well, let's get that guy to direct the next feature sort of thing. And then, okay, let's get that guy to direct another feature sort of thing. So as far as like breaking into feature writing, I, I think at our level right now, as, as I mean, we've only, done Archibald really and some of this ancillary stuff it's it's been a little not tricky or difficult but Mm. it's it's been it's been interesting to see like how to break into the animation uh the feature writing side of it I don't know Jake does that make sense I think I think that's true it's a little more in-house like you were saying uh the IP is definitely need to be you look at like you look at like Disney and Pixar slate. I mean, they're all going to be kind of revolving IP. Luckily, Pixar and Disney are also kind of making some new, mm-hmm. putting some new new IP out there. You look at, you know, DreamWorks is interesting because if you want an exercise in IP, go read like the Boss Baby book, mm-hmm. like the original book the Boss Baby was was made into, and it doesn't resemble what the movie is at all. It was just like this really funny idea that a baby when they come home is kind of becomes the boss of the family. And that's it. It's a picture book. It doesn't have a lot of words. It doesn't have like baby corp. It doesn't have any other stuff that is like, that is the movie that is so fun. And so they took that idea and they, they, they buy these IPs and they get them because there's a nugget of an idea there mm. that they want to turn into something even, even bigger, even larger. And those things also take time. Those things are, 
you know, they take years and years and years before they actually hire someone to write a script and, or before they, you know, but so sometimes they're sitting there trying to craft art and then they're finally have the art and they're like, this is what we think it is. And then they're hire someone to come on as a director mm-hmm. and to write the script. Or sometimes they'll be in production and then they'll hire a director. So it's, it's very different. That thing, like, it's like, it's like trying to, it's like trying to make a train while currently on a train that's how it feels like when you're doing like you're on a train and it's moving and you have to like lay down the track and also build the caboose and also do all those things when you're on it at the same time it's it's a really hard it's a really hard thing mm-hmm. and I, I think it's also probably very similar i mean we haven't written any live action feature animation but i mean just live action features but you see like the credit list and some of these movies have like six or seven like writer names on them I think that's very similar. We've had like some of our friends who are just kind of in animation TV, just kind of the level above us who have had opportunities to write on animated features. Sometimes they're brought in to be like, hey, this project's been in development hell for so long. Can you come and do a take? Mm -hmm. And one of our friends did a take on us on a feature. And I don't know how, how, exactly what if it was like a page one rewrite or if it was just like a pass or something but then they don't use that script and they go to someone else so i think that's also very common in both of those camps of hiring some writers to do to do some passes to do some scripts and then this isn't working let's let's find someone else sort of thing Mm -hmm. so it's my favorite part about the animation process is you have there's multiple chances to rewrite it Right. And you're going to see for a feature, they're going to do five or six of these animatics. You know, for Archibald at a standard episode, we would watch three different animatics. And each time we're making, no, you know, little notes to the story and we're punching up the jokes. And is this working? And we're kind of evaluating all those each step along the way. So eventually, when you see like an animated feature and you're like, it's just not very good, like there's no excuse for that, in mm-hmm. my opinion, <laughs> that they had multiple chances to get it right and, and to do it. And a really good book about this. Uh, it's called create you know if you want to learn about this process that's fascinating that that drew turned me on to this book called creativity inc which was written by uh, the founder yeah the founder of pixar ed capital he's like the business guy that founded pixar right he wasn't one of the artists but he walks through the process of how they kind of do notes and how they that whole process of making you know that that film and how Mm -hmm. it shapes and that is fascinating and how they'll kill an entire there's like in the book there was a Pixar movie about newts or something like that. And yeah. they were they were having animatics and getting notes back and it just wasn't working. They killed the entire movie mm. after like years of development. So it's yeah. like, that's a really, really great movie. Right. Great book. <laughs> great book. And the the, movie the new we'll movie is bad. It's yeah. horrible. We'll never know. We'll never know. Um, that creativity. And yeah, we'll put a link down below if anyone wants to take a look at that. Um, yeah, that's great. So I wanted to to ask you in terms of since you've written both live action and uh animated uh shows um what are because tv is obviously the same medium but they're very different in terms of genres um what are some of the things that like if someone who has written live action but never written taken a stab at animation but wants to what are some of the the things that that they should know about in terms of the conventions of the format uh, like you would mention, for example, uh, some of the visual jokes that Dave, the guys that Dave did, that you could that were great, but you could not use them in Archibalds for whatever tonal 
censorship reasons, whatever it happens to be. Uh, what are some of the things that you noticed as the differences, like in terms of, again, the convention of animation, what you can and can't do or, you know, versus live action? I think because in animation, everything has to be so specific. Mm -hmm. If Archibald is walking across a room, he has, you have to be very specific. So there's almost that there's like, there's no room for misinterpretation of like what the scene is supposed to be. I think in the live action stuff that we've written, we're allowed to be a little vaguer in, Mm. in, in scene description of like what is actually happening in, in the scene. And with animation, everything needs to be so specific because someone has to animate that. Mm, right. Someone needs to design that. Someone needs to move this character from here to here. It see it from my experience, it seems that animation writing is a little less kind of flowery in like the prose of 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 writing. It's a dark uh, it's a dark evening and the sky is blue, but the but the moon is out. Like it's it's less of that and just like Archibald walks over to the kitchen and grabs mm. a piece of fruit front. Like it's very almost I mean, I've never written theater or anything like that, but it feels like it's very specific yes. in like he needs to move from point A to point B. You have to say that. Mm-hmm. Because there there have been times in episodes that we've written or that uh we're doing notes on in the room. Things are just too vague. Hmm. It's like, what's happening in the scene? We need to know because someone has to animate that. Right. They can't just so for, figure it out on set. Yeah, thing, you can't right? just figure it out on set because kind of like what Jake is saying, it's like there comes a point where it's like, we're done. Hmm. The episode cannot be, we can't change anything except that did happen on one episode <laughs> where it was like, okay, this doesn't, and we had it in final animation. Mm-hmm. Final animation and we're like, this doesn't really make sense. We have to fix this. So Jake and I were writing re- new lines for animation that has already been done. And we're like, how many syllables is he saying? Okay, we want him to say this. Can we take out that word? Okay, let's move this. Go to that wide shot. It was already finished. And right. we kind of Frankensteined yeah. this, this episode. We made the episode be about something entirely different. Mm-hmm. And it worked. And you will never know which episode it is. You can never tell. Um, I, I, but, but yeah, Sorry, I think being being more specific in animation is crucial because it has to someone has to look at that page and be like, okay, he's going from there to there sort of thing. And that's specificity. Specificity is so important mm-hmm. in animation. Jake? Well, I was gonna say there's there's a lot of overlaps, you know, and I would say ultimately, you know, character is gonna come down to it has to drive all of it. And you know, there's a lot of technical differences, but ultimately, if you're like a really strong writer, it's not going to matter if you're writing animation or live action, that's going to show through on the page. Uh, a lot of times the rule that you sometimes the pitfall that new writers in animation fall into is they try to like kind of tell what their characters are or mm-hmm. kind of tell what's happening rather than show. And so this classic rule of show don't tell right. is really important in animation, especially when you're dealing with with comedy, especially because that that chance to show gives you a joke, you know? And whereas in in writing of like for live action stuff, sometimes you don't want to show as much. Sometimes you want it to be a little bit more mysterious. You want there to be a slow burn. Sometimes you want your tells to be a little bit more, you know, colored with history 
between these two characters. And so there's a, there's a kind of a dance between that whole thing. And I think Drew hit the nail right on the head. There's a little bit more prose in in animation, in a live action writing. You're trying to kind of invoke a tone. You're trying to make your reader feel these kind of textures and these emotions while they're reading. Whereas in, in animation, it's, it's a technical document. You know, mm -hmm. you're trying to craft a story, write some jokes, but also make sure that you're hitting your page count and your scene count and you're not overwhelming the production pipeline. Right. Um, okay, Sam Weaver had another question. Um, you mentioned your pitch, you, know, you mentioned you've pitched some other stuff recently. Which technique did you use for the art? I guess you had mentioned that, uh, 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 Jacob, I think you had done some Photoshop-y kind of stuff. Uh, but it said, which technique did you use for the art? Fiverr, like you'd mentioned, or did you have a friend or previous animator you leaned on? Uh, like that talking sock. Not sure if that was just an example you made up. No, no, the, real, it's a real the, thing. The real, real pitch, real pitch. Real pitch. Yeah, it's great. We love that one, and it, someone's going to buy it, and it's going to be my mom. My mom's going to buy it. My mom just greenlit the whole show. Oh, series. fantastic. Yeah, um, Peg's bankrolling. Pe so, Peg flicks. <laughs> my mom's name is Peg. Anyway, uh, what? so that one I drew on my iPad. You know, I kind of found uh, a lot of the images for that. I took pictures of clothes and kind of overdrew. Oh, okay. So I actually, because there is like kind of a concrete example of what a sock looks like. Sure. I had a lot of those things. Uh, another show that we're pitching right now, we have this relationship with this really talented comic book artist and that has done some work. And so we've worked with him. Uh, we're pitching a show based on one of his properties, but also we're basing a show based on a couple of his sketches. Mm -hmm. You know, and so we've kind of parted with him. And that one's been fun because it's just like some images that we're kind of superimposing story onto. So there's it's kind of a combination of both, right? Yeah, the the comic book that we're that we've been pitching on is it's nice because we have access to the entire comic book. Oh, gotcha. And we have access to all like the line art that the artist mm -hmm. was, all of his Developer. practice sketches and stuff like that. So in our pitch, we put so much of that art. He got us high res uh, versions of the comic without the speech bubbles. Mm -hmm. So it's just this massive file that we can, uh, it, it, we put so much of that into the pitch. We also did a tone trailer. Mm -hmm. So we cut, cut stuff together, put our voices in it. And then it, it, the pitch looks great because it looks like we've had months of like serious development on this show. He's got a page of, the, of, of each character and all the different faces and emotions they have. So it's, it's so great. We can go like, this is one character and it's all this art. The next character, all this art. So that that has been a real help in, in getting that show off, off mm -hmm. the ground, for sure. Without giving too much detail, because I don't know if you can talk about it or not, or as much detail as you want, um, in terms of this comic book project you're working on, is this something where you sought out the comic book, like one of you had read it and thought this would be great? Is this something the comic book artist sought you out, or is this something like your representation or somebody along the line brought it to you guys and thought, hey, this is something that you should take a look at this was one of those things where we were kind of looking for something mm. to to try to like do and jake found this awesome comic book at this at a comic book store in glendale and he's like this should be this should be a show mm. and so we started reading it and it actually took a couple years of just kind of sitting on it and and then coming to a, like the coming to the point where like hey we should reach out to that guy jake reached out to him on like Twitter or email or like you just cold called him. I, I found his number in the phone book. 
and call them. So, like, white white. Do they pages. still have phone books? <laughs> <laughs> but like it was, we just cold called him and was like, mm-hmm. "Hey, we're fans of your of your comic book. We've done the show Archibald, next big thing. We'd love to meet with you." And mm-hmm. he was like, "Okay." And we're like, "Great." And so we had a. It was. It's been over through COVID, and so we had a Zoom meeting with him and just kind of sent him some of our samples and what we'd want to do. And he was like, let's do it. Like, this is great. And then he put us in contact with the studio and it's so funny because it wasn't really on their radar and we pitched it to them. We're like, Hey, we like this comic. Mm. What do you guys think? And they're like, we love your idea. Let's go for it. So we're like, fantastic. So let's, so we're in the process of, of still moving forward on that one. So that was, that was, that was a good good find that Jake did at that at that comic book store. Ah, good job, Jake. Good job, Jake. You did it. <laughs> Thanks. That's, I'm gonna take the rest of the day off. <laughs> see All you guys right. later. See, see you, buddy. Um, so we're starting to run short on time. So I basically just wanted to ask you now, uh, in terms of Archibald's next big thing, um, if you could just relay to us one uh, quick, fun story, anecdote from or favorite moment, favorite part of the show. That you'd want to share well i'll go first because this one's yeah. easy for me you, you, you go know, first. <laughs> yeah you, you know, don't I, you don't want I, drew to take your idea he, he's gonna do that no, you know he he'll do it just he's out of spite <laughs> no 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 Drew's not a spiteful i'm person. just kidding <laughs> wait maybe a little bit a little bit. no so i've years idolized weird al hmm. uh weird al yankovic and so I, I met him like on yo gabba gabba he was filming that day and i remember i was like too nervous to ask him for like a picture Right. And then like, I forgot what it was like years later, I ran into him someplace else. Same thing. I'm like too nervous. I've only geeked out meeting Weird Al. And then I met him on, he came to like that live action, the live action uh, dog show thing. I met mm-hmm. him on, you know, he came and did something on that. And so he I thinks you're a stalker basically. Yeah. And then like, and then we cast him in an Archibald's next big thing. Right. And we're there and I'm kind of like this whole time I had this like daydream of like, getting a photo with me and weird out. So like my 12 year old self could like finally be proud of me. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, he's like coming out of the booth and I just like, I just freeze up again. I don't even, I'm like, nah, 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 don't bother. Don't bother weird Al for me asking for a picture for weird Al. And then we ended up, they ended up naming like the kid. We ended up naming his character after, you know, my, my kid. So it's really funny anyway. So at some point I'm actually going to get a picture with, so weird you still Al. don't have it. I still don't have I thought this was going to end up with you having it, whether you <laughs> no, chased him down in the parking lot or this something. This is a buzzkill story. This, I do not have a picture with Weird Al. He, it's just like, you know, I've now worked with him like, I've crossed paths him like three or four times and I've never asked him. Now, did you write the character for him? Like A little bit, a little bit. Okay. I mean, it was like, we kind of knew like a, a little bit that the possibility of getting Weird Al was, was out there, but it was mostly, and then at some point when we got Weird Al, like, let's make sure this is Weird Al enough. Uh, but and we wrote yeah. a song for him. We wrote a song for him. Yeah, that was cool. You you have to get this now. This is not acceptable. It's fine. It's, it's, my, your white, it's my your white whale. Yes, yeah. a picture yes. of with Weird Al. Yeah, it'll happen. All what right. about yours, Drew? Um, gosh, there's. It's been such an amazing experience. As like first time, like breaking into writing. Like this is our show, and and we've been involved in a lot of the process of going to uh, records and directing actors and um, going to animatics, going to mixes, uh, approving music and stuff like that. But I think 
the first thing that I thought of was when we were developing the show at DreamWorks and it was kind of a difficult time because I was working at, I think I was at Good Mythical Morning, Jake was someplace else. So we had these like day jobs mm -hmm. and then we would come to DreamWorks in the afternoon to talk about our show. And it was just like this weird, like, can I stay here? Like, can't we just, can't you hire us now? Right. Because I, I, I have the other job, but I want to stay here. And so one of the meetings, we were meeting with the music department and they're just so fantastic. And they're talking about theme song. And I love music. I love movie soundtracks. I love all that stuff. And so this was like this cool thing. And I had this moment and I think we were talking like, you know, like some, something like a Sufjan Stevens kind of feel would be really great. And they're like, let's, let's see if he's available. And we're like, whoa. And I had this moment where I'm kind of like out of my body and I'm just kind of looking around at everyone talking. And I was like, this is like a DVD special features, mm -hmm. like little featurette of like the making of Archibald. And I was like, this is so cool. And then I had this really, this like, I'm in this meeting. I need to, <laughs> I need to say something. So I'm like, yes, that would, that sounds great. We should do that sort of thing. And then just kind of be like, whoa, this is so cool. And this is, this is such a cool process. And then, it, then kind of the like, oh, like, can't we stay in? And they had like chocolate chip cookies, like constant, like fresh chocolate chip cookies at DreamWorks. And DreamWorks gets you with the food. Ooh, That's their. Ooh, can we stay? But that was like one of those, those like great moments of like, mm -hmm. this is so cool. This is actually happening, sort of thing. Uh, and and Jake, favorite Weird Al song? Uh, I mean, I like the classics. I mean, the first like box, the first CD I bought was like his box set thing. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, his more current stuff, Word Crimes, is like, it's like it's both useful. I've learned stuff from that, <laughs> but it's also really funny. Uh, we've had to stop playing my, my, at some point, my four-year-old was asking for the play party in the CIA mm. and she'd never even heard Miley Cyrus. Right. She hadn't even heard the original version. So there's some, like, we have some, now I'm starting to invoke that, that, that nerd trauma onto them. And it's going to be, they don't even, at some point they're going to actually hear what the real versions are to like American pie. And it doesn't sound right. Right. It doesn't sound like Star Wars. Right. And so it's going to be, they're going to be messed up, you know? Yeah. I'm more partial to the My, po the polka mixes, I think, are pretty good. The polka mixes are insane. The old yes. school polka mixes. I tried to play the accordion for a hot minute when I was like 12 or 12 or 13. Really? Of course, of course you did. Of <laughs> yeah. course and you know did. why? Of course. And you know why you give up playing the accordion? It's heavy. Oh. It's heavy. It's really heavy. That's and like, you, you have, it on your, have it on your one lap and it's just yeah. like, oh, I can't do this. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the reason. That's the that's why. That's why we're not so thin, right? Because he's like got a lug around that giant accordion. You think he'd be buff because he had to carry it around, right? No, no, <laughs> no, no, man. Just get one of those does, like those one those, workout, those pirate ones. That's really small. Oh that yeah, could, that could be enough for yeah, you. Why doesn't he use that? Just I don't know. I don't know. You can't modulate key and you oh, can't also. Yeah, um, so. Oh yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I guess, and the final thoughts is, uh, do you have any specific advice for those writers out there who want to uh, develop an animated show? Just one piece of advice for them. It doesn't even need to be about animated show, but about writing, about the industry. Uh, this, is the advice, this is the advice I kind of give everyone, is that you have to kind of know the, the, the tracks that are going to lead to where you want to go. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to end up being, end up in a writer's room for animation, 
especially at a place like DreamWorks or Disney or uh, this place that have like a traditional room, your, your, your best bet of getting into that room is by getting into like a production track, mm-hmm. getting like a PA job, uh, doing a great job as that PA, eventually becoming some sort of coordinator, eventually getting at one of those coveted sought after uh, script coordinating positions, kind of working your tail off then in hopes of getting some, all the while you're still writing, all the while you're still developing your own stuff and your own, in your own craft. But that's kind of the tracks is kind of like PA coordinator, mm-hmm. script coordinator, hopefully promoted to writer. And those are kind of the way, you know, you know, we promoted a couple of our of our uh, script coordinators or really talented writers. And that's where a lot of people, I think, get their first way in is not in the show creation, but in the, you know, actually going through like these these kind of undefined tracks. Mm, I see. Yeah, I would say my advice would be to people who aren't in LA who are who want to come to LA and I think you should come to LA um maybe with like zoom and stuff it's different now but I think like every, things are going to open up again and writers rooms are going to open up again and you and if if you feel like you need to be here if you're a student or something like that you should come here but mm-hmm. uh, but my advice would be to give it time and realize that you're not going to come out here and direct a feature or sell a script right away. Those things do happen. I understand that. But give yourself, I would say almost, give yourself 10 years before you you want to end up being a show creator or something like that. Because when, when we moved out here and Jake moved out around the same time, it was about eight, nine years mm-hmm. of, yeah. of taking those PA jobs, of being the assistant jobs, of, of creating our own show. We did create our own show for Larry King's company on the web and those sort of things, but we didn't sell our, we didn't sell Archibald until eight, eight, nine years after moving to LA. And that's so still pretty fast, actually. That, selling yeah, the show at that yeah. time. And Archibald did did uh, that process was it felt like it took forever, sort of thing. And especially when you're in that day job and you're like, I just want that call from the studio to be like, Hey, your first day of work is going to be this, and you're like, Hallelujah! Like that's craft service. That's yeah. That's that's a great that's a great feeling. But mm-hmm. give yourself that time to to build that network and to meet new people. And because everyone is going to grow with you mm-hmm. in their different fields of being a manager or an executive or something like that, just give yourself that time and don't expect things to happen immediately, but put in the work, put in the work because it's worth it. Find those people like Jake and I, this entire process from moving to LA to selling art. Well, Jake and I are writing together. We're writing early in the mornings. We're writing, our wives are going to girls night. Come on over, come over to my place and let's break a story sort of thing. So putting in that work and taking that time, I think that's that's probably my biggest advice. Channel your inner 35 year old uh, writer, right? Yes. yes. Sitting in front yeah, of like, he, like you, yeah. yeah. Away. <laughs> Mom, get out of my office. Yeah. I, can't, I can't right now. Yeah. Yeah, like, that's good. Work. yeah, that's good advice. Um, thank you, gentlemen, for coming on. I really appreciate it. And uh, 
Thank you, Kevin. Great. Thanks for having us. Uh, thanks, Kevin. This has been great. Um, so be sure to follow Drew and Jacob on Twitter. It's at Drew Champs and at Jacob Moffat. Again, we'll have the links below. Um, yeah, it's been great. So I, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing experience. Good luck with Archibald and everything else. Um, Thank you. It's a great show, you know. So uh, thanks. I think, yeah, I, I, I don't often do research, but I remember because my son is seven now, and I remember he had seen your show, so I had to go back and watch the pilot again just for for kicks. So. Um, but yeah, so thank you again, guys, for coming on. Um, if you'll stick with me just for one second. Um, sure. And we will see you guys all next Saturday at 11 a.m. Pacific time, same time, uh, for our Meet the Manager Q&A with Lit Manager Producer Peter Katz of Story Driven. Have a good weekend, everyone, and thank you all for joining us.